Hello everybody, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast. I hope you're all doing well as we're almost a month into 2021 and we've reached the halfway stage of the season in most major leagues Um, and it was a nice little milestone for us at Scouted last week as we reached our 50th episode on the Scouted Pod. Um, For number 51 we've gone with something a little different, um, something I'm going to call the Receipts episode. Uh, We've been fortunate enough to speak to world-leading experts, journalists, players, coaches, sporting directors uh, over the first 50 episodes. Uh, and We've discussed quite a fair few under-23 players, uh, many of whom have gone on to do very well over the last 18 months or so. Uh, And there's no new guest this week, uh, but you will hear a number of different guests as we've compiled the best takes from the Scouted Football podcast so far. Taking you all the way back to the summer of 2019, myself, Stephen Ganavas and Justin Sosa, on the very first episode of the Scouted Football Podcast, uh, we picked our breakout stars for the 2019-20 campaign. Uh, We talked about a Norwegian in Salzburg, uh, a Romanian in Belgium and an American in the Netherlands. Here's what we had to say. Obviously, the theme that we're going with in in this opening episode is breakout players in Europe's top flight outside of the top five leagues. And one player that really got my attention uh, over the summer was uh, Yanis Hadji uh, with Romania at the under-21 Euros. He has subsequently earned a move to KRC Genk from Vitorol Constanta in in the Romanian league to the Belgian Pro League. He's very much a number 10. uh, And based on his early performances there... He's looking as though he's going to play in a midfield three, but as the most advanced. He, he plays with this silk and this class and this craft that is is really nice to watch. And in Belgium, even still, he can be erratic at times, but he does really, you know, he's very silky. And he has a nice move where he'll dribble in one direction and then he'll quickly turn, roll his man and then float the ball out wide. It's not just his dribbling and carrying ability to, you know, to get into positions where he can you know, progress the ball. It's his distribution as well, which is quite nice. And perhaps why he's on set pieces as well. Uh, Another player um, who is in sort of a lesser but top flight uh, European league is Erling Haaland at Red Bull Salzburg uh, in the Austrian Bundesliga. Um, Steve, you've seen him uh, a couple of times. And if we're being honest, everybody uh, who, you know, contributes to Scouted uh, knows about Erling Haaland, about what what he's about, because he is such a striking figure uh, when you watch him play, Steve, he's been he's been great in this first full season at uh, Salzburg. There's only been about four games, but he scored seven goals, and that's just it's a sign of things to come for for a 19 year old. Yeah, he is an absolute beast. He's built like a truck. Uh, in Norway, he's at Molde, he's scoring goals for fun. I think as a 17 year old, um, and he's just moved over to Salzburg now, and uh, he started the season off very strongly. He just I think there was one preseason friendly goal where he just picked the ball up at halfway and he looks like a big boy and he is a big boy, but he just puts his head down and he just dribbled through everyone. And you just see this guy is a complete package. I think up front, alongside some of the, the other firepower Salzburg have, they they've got uh Seko Koita who who starred at the under twenty World Cup. He's gonna be an absolute handful. Going back to the under twenty World Cup, there is a, a game against Honduras that he scored seven goals. Um, he's just scary. Uh, well, another player I wanted to talk about was um, Serginho Dest, um, who for the U.S. under 20s at the under 20 World Cup and for U.S. youth national teams for a while now has been 
absolutely phenomenal at right back. And this year, he looks like he's going to get his fair share of time in Ajax's first team. Having already started their their Super Cup, so to speak, I'm not sure what it's called, and then being on the bench for a few of their Champions League qualifiers for their first uh, league match, and then I believe he came off the bench uh, in their in their most recent Champions League qualifier. With his skill set, I mean, there's a there's a lot of talk about him within the U.S. fan base of wanting him to get a, a you know to get capped by the senior national team, which I don't think is unreasonable, especially with the way that the national team's been going. We've been capping a lot of players who you know whether you believe so or not deserve uh, a cap or just for the sake of giving a player a cap. And I think Dest is definitely one that they need to look into, especially with Greg Berhalter considering to play Tyler Adams as this right back center mid hybrid um, rather than a natural defensive midfielder because Serginho Dest provides exactly what he's looking for in that position in the sense that he can get forward. um, He can come inside into midfield and play with other center midfielders and link play between defense and offense. He's good on the ball. And when it comes to tracking back, there's holes in his defensive game. And I think that's a lot of people's main concern about him. But when you watch him against France or against Ecuador, basically within big games, he shows up on either side of the ball. In September 2019, we celebrated the return of the Champions League, which included an Erling Haaland debut hat-trick against Genk. Also the emergence of another excellent young Salzburg player, Dominic Soboslai. Phil Costa explained his ability from dead ball situations. Particularly from set pieces, he's got this technique where he gets so much pace on the ball. It's like pace and dip, which is, you know, two deadly combinations. And this uh, free kick against Rapid Vienna was literally, if you could put an ideal imaginary target in the top corner, it it would have slapped it, uh, gone straight through it. I mean, it was honestly perfect delivery, perfect technique, up and over the wall, goalkeeper stood absolutely no chance. Lou Davies then forecasted Victor Ossiman's rise to prominence with Lille, predicting a breakout season for the Nigerian international who impressed with Charleroi in Belgium, earned a move to Lille and then swapped Lille for Napoli this past summer. He's one that's really caught my eye, not least for his goal scoring, but just for the way that he works across the defences. So he's not hes not a, just a poacher, he's a bit more than just a goal scorer. He can attack space from deep, he can slide across the defenders and really uses his physique and frame and size to make room for himself, make room for others, hold up the ball, dump it off. I think he's just a really dynamic striker who can, I think he could have a breakout season in the Champions League this season. And David Cartledge told us about Pedri, now renowned for his great start at Barcelona, but still something of an unknown quantity back in his days as a 16-year-old, setting the Spanish Segunda División alight with his craft and ingenuity at Las Palmas. The best place to start with Pedri, because, uh, you know, 16 years old, he's, he's already got a move to Barcelona lined up. Um, you know, and he's really, just the way he's burst onto the scene, um, you know, has been phenomenal. Uh, he made his debut in August, against uh, Huesca and then you know he came straight from the juvenile the team the, the under-19s um, he's already got a move uh, locked down to Barcelona apparently an offer from a Premier League club was, was turned down for him as well um, but Barcelona's let him stay there on loan let him learn let him play week in week out uh, he's a little attacking midfielder can also play in a wide role second striker role 
very, very quick, unbelievable dribbling ability and, and skill. And he's already banging in goals. He's, you know, assists. He's, he's really been the sensation, honestly. He's been, the, I'd probably say, in terms of all the young players in Spain, alongside, I'd probably say alongside Ansu Fati, he's probably been the, the biggest sensation in terms of the, the young players that have come through this season. Around this time a year ago, we spoke to Connor Rowden, best known as Roud JRSG on Twitter, about England's youth international age groups. He had some choice opinions on what would be best for Rian Brewster's development, as well as two teenagers who are now playing regularly for Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. Brewster needs a team around him. He's not Sancho. He's not Foden, who is going to constantly be on the ball, even in a bad team. So he could easily fade out of games where Swansea aren't dominant or Swansea aren't helping him get into good positions around the area. I also am a little bit sceptical about the track record of players like him at this age, at these levels of compet- in competitive leagues. He's a goal scorer. He's a number nine, he, but he's not six foot three and he's not lightning quick. He's a good athlete and he's not small, but he's not going to lead the line at this level like a Calvert-Lewin did, even when Calvert-Lewin was struggling a little bit to put it all together. He's not that type of player. And I think if you look around, there aren't that many type of 19-year-olds playing at least in the top two leagues. You look at someone like Tammy Abraham, who has is a be- better athlete than Brewster, his struggles when he was on loan at Swansea as well. Although he actually didn't do as badly as people thought because Swansea was struggling and his goals weren't quite there like they have been everywhere else. He started to get picked apart a bit. And I worry that, although I still believe Brewster will come good eventually, see, I do worry about just how high the expectations are for Brewster to hit the ground running and the expectations are coming from a lot of people who I don't think have actually seen him play and don't know what type of player he is. So although I think he's going to have a very successful career long term, I just think people should have a bit of caution with him to immediately be ripping up the championship or anything like that. Are there any other names of note in that under-17 squad um, from what you've seen that are sort of worthy of being held in the same conversation as, as Harvey Elliott or, or Karamoko Dembele? Yeah, I think the 2000s were a rare year with Sancho Hudson-Odoi. And then the 01s and the 02s were very good as well. I think a lot of people think the 2003s are maybe not as good as the 2000s because I'm not sure you can ever expect to have a group as good as that again. But they're up there. And you've got Jude Bellingham at Birmingham, who to be 16 and playing a fairly typical midfield role in the championship isn't normal. He's not just being shoved out wide or played as the third man in midfield or brought on and off a sub. He's excelling in a fairly workmanlike position and doing a bit of everything. And he's he could have joined anyone in Europe the last couple of years, but I think him and the people behind him have decided to trust Birmingham and Birmingham have, Birmingham have repaid that trust by sticking to his development plan, and that's where he is today. There's another lad called Jamal Musiala who left Chelsea for German, uh, for Bayern Munich in the summer. He's uh, also eligible for Germany, uh, but at the minute, 
at least it seems like he's sticking with England. And he's still very lightweight, but he's just a midfielder who evades pressure on the ball, super well-balanced, just glides with the ball. So it'll be interesting to see how he fills out where he gets athletically in the next few years and what kind of pathway is available at Bayern for him because it's not exactly something we've seen that regular. It's not something we've really seen before. As seasons were postponed across the world due to the coronavirus pandemic, Mo Ali gave us the lowdown on two Olympique Marseille products whose careers at the club had taken very different paths. I think one of the things that stood out to me about Kamara was the fact that, you know, this 18, 19 year old kid fresh off the back of that under 19 euros where he was a standout player. um, You know, he came into one of France's most historic sides in a crucial position on the pitch and, you know, more often than not, looked very much at home. What is it about his style of play that, that sticks out to you? Easiest way to answer that is that his his versatility. I mean, I absolutely love his ball playing qualities at centre back. His ease of being shunted further forward into a number six role and then being very very calm on the ball, bringing his defensive traits in front of the back four, stopping forward blocks, is is I think the the best format. And I think actually personally, from watching him over the last sort of year or two and seeing him you know, played around 30-40% of the time as number six. He actually performs better there for me. The, the final Marseille player I'd like to discuss is Isaac uh, Lihaji. It's his exploits at the Under-17 World Cup back in October, which, which brought him to our attention at Scouted. With regards to Lihaji, what have you seen and heard of him in, in Marseille circles? Um, well, with with my experience of Lihaji game, a couple of months before for the under seventeen World Cup, I actually was in Stoke, um, not Stoke, sorry, Stoke Burton upon Trent at the the FA's uh, Saint George's Park, where Marseille played a pre-season friendly against Stoke last summer, and I actually didn't know anything about the Hadji um, at that point. Uh, they played a friendly against Stoke City, and he was honestly one of the players that absolutely stood out. Like you know, the fact that we had a, a right winger who who had his pace, who had creativity, who could dribble very well past opponents who who was a, was a constant goal threat and really you know geared up for it Guardian Sport deputy editor Ed Aaron's joined us in May to discuss the launch of his new book Made in Africa as well as detailing the various pathways certain Premier League players had forged out of the continent Ed explains how the role of academies such as Generation Foot and Diambar are enormous in places like Senegal It's an interesting question I think that the Sadio Mane story sort of explains this quite well in fact he was only at Generation Foot for about six months in total, I think. And he, I mean, this just shows you how extraordinary a player he is, the talent that he had. He came from <laughs> from from playing in his local league to Generation Foot and then to France within six months, seven months. So I think that I think that's quite a rare process, though. Normally, they spend two or three years at Generation Foot and. Uh, the good thing about them is that they also their first team. They play in the first division now in the, you know the top flight in Senegal. They won the league. They won the. I think they won the. They were denied winning the double by the Ambars in the cup final. I can't remember exactly what happened, but you know, and and the oldest player in these teams is eighteen, I think. So it's really absolutely it's absolutely extraordinary, and then they're playing against adults from the rest of the country and winning the title and winning the cup. So it's really a really good place for them to learn, and I think clubs in Europe are all watching them, and uh, 
obviously Mets have an advantage at the moment with Janosch on foot, but it's I think a lot is a lot is done on on the you know they try and pick try and guess in a way I suppose it is what the character of the player is going to be like as well because it, as you mentioned before it is a massive thing for young men like this you know kids really to be moving not only to a different country but a different continent with different weather and you know different customs and things like that so I think it, it's it's still quite a big risk for for clubs to take a player straight from Africa but you know the the rewards are obvious because of the talent that is that is there ESPN and BT Sport football pundit Julien Laurent hopped on the pod to discuss Paris Saint-Germain's academy and why the club couldn't hold on to top youth prospects despite having one of the largest pools of talent to pick from the world over. He explained why Ile-de-France is one of the most prolific areas in the world for producing top talent, including World Cup winners. So there's a few there's a few reasons, uh, like I explained a bit in the piece, but if we can go a bit deeper, one, the amount of people who live there, obviously, there's around 12 to 13 million people who live in Paris and in the area, the banlieue around, whether it's, it's the west suburbs, which is a bit posher, the north suburbs, quite tough suburbs, east, a bit in between and south as well. So you already have a lot of, there's a lot of people in there. Then the grassroots system in France is very, very, very well organized with all the different leagues. You've got loads of clubs everywhere especially in Paris where you have also which is very surprising for a big for, for a big capital like that but you've got loads of football pitches everywhere pretty much where you can play all the time but I think for me the biggest thing is is the you know the, the, the council estate areas which are uh, very very prominent in Paris not so much in central Paris but all around the the, the, the city uh, so it could create issues, of course, and, and you know we have we've had social issues and we still do and stuff like that. But also means that in those council estates you've got usually a, a big football pitch right in the middle of the blocks where everybody gathers and everybody plays for hours and hours and hours to end. And I think for me, you could give me any academy, any coaches, anything. The, the best, the best school to learn how to play football and to learn the technique and to have that in you is to play in the streets somewhere with your friends for hours and hours. And I think that's certainly how I started. That's how a lot of the, the players who play now at professional level who came from Paris started as well, play for the national team. If you look at Paul Pogba or Kylian Mbappe, he was all down their blogs, all playing with their mates from the council estate. 3v3, 4v4, 5v5, no referees, no fouls. You play with much bigger players, much older players who rough you up and beat you up and you can't say anything and you have to keep playing on. And the only thing you could do is be so good technically that no one can get the ball off you or every time you get the ball, you do something good with it and you avoid all the tackles and all the challenges and all the fouls and et cetera, et cetera. And I think Paris for me and Parisian players are all about technique and also if some of them are, are strong physically like, like Abu Dhabi or or Paul Pogba, who are the two that springs to mind because they were so strong and so tall, but also so good technically. It comes from there, it, you know, and, and it's, it's better if you've got the physical ability, of course, but if you're Wissam Ben Yedder or Riyad Mahrez and you're very skinny and short, then you have to develop your technicality. Otherwise, you don't exist in those kind of games because, you know, it's like war. English players abroad has been a niche topic of late, but with the likes of Noni Madwek at PSV Eindhoven and Marcus Edwards at Vitoria Guimaraes entertaining fans further afield, we sat down and chatted with Cam Melling, who keeps a close eye on every English player currently playing outside the British Isles.
Um, just coming back to you, Cam, how highly rated is Madueki at PSV? You know, have you heard any whisperings? Because, I mean, you know, they're not short of top young players. You know, they're, they're actually brimming, in fact. Yeah, I'm so impressed with him. Like you said, the stats, like, at the start of the season, I was thinking maybe he might break into the young PSV side and then suddenly he's played six games and he's playing for the first team. He's travelling with the first team. He's, at that age, I was so impressed. Like, and you said PSV do seem to play a lot of their young forwards and seems to do quite well. And hopefully uh, he can stay stay there for another year and really like, nail down a spot in the first team. I didn't expect him to even be in playing for the first team at this sort of stage. So he must be so far ahead of his sort of schedule. In his mind, he probably always backed himself to make the first team. But um, it appears to me he must be pretty impressed with the way he's done and the way he's hopefully he can get that first team goal at the start of next season. And yeah, I'll probably see him may even move up the England ranks as well. Hopefully, maybe he make England 21 next season. Yeah, because we've seen that. I mean, Bukayo Saka at Arsenal this season has done tremendously, um, you know, to, to become what is at the moment one of their most relied upon, upon players. But, you know, outside of Arsenal and youth football circles, um, at the beginning of the season, not many people would have heard of Saka. So I think, yeah, you're right in in saying that, that Madwick and, and his sort of, his, his growth um, so soon has been... Um, his development rather has been has been so sharp and and I mean like you said no one expected him to be to be making the first team just yet um, but it's been yeah it's been hugely encouraging um, but another one who who we've been raving about lately who who left Tottenham um, for good last summer was Marcus Edwards and I can now admit that the propaganda on the scouted football timeline has been some of my doing uh, but it's purely and simply because you know he's thriving in an environment in in Portugal at Vitoria Guimarães. Um, where he's been given regular games, um, and you know he's played and scored in the Europa League and Portugal's top flight this season, and keeps impressing game by game. Uh, we were just discussing last night. You know he, you know he loves a dribble and then cuts inside and hit a shot off the bar against Benfica, and you know he, he's just such a such an aesthetic player. Um, wh- I mean, why do you think he's done so well over in Portugal? Uh, you know, in in such a in, in a in a league which is. You know, apart from Eric Dyer at, at Sporting years ago, you know, doesn't really have a history of, of English players having played there. Yeah, I think yeah, that's true. I think the way you said about the regular games is so important. That loan spell Holland gave him like a good first taste, you know, twenty games or whatever, a few goal involvements. But this year, like now, he's playing most games. I mean, it's thirty-four appearances they've got here. He's um just impressing every game. He's he's just he can't be dropped now. Really, the way he's playing. Uh, I think he's scoring his Arsenal as well in Europa League. So that's, that was probably a pretty big moment for him. But it wasn't a one-off the way he's gone on now, getting goals and assists most games or every other game. Um, and that sort of, yeah, that run of games has really helped him. Um, just the way, he, if he was back in England, maybe through side appearances, maybe it felt difficult to make an impact. Elsewhere in Portugal, Portuguese football expert Tom Cundit had plenty to say on Nuno Mendes, an exciting young left-back at Sporting. One who's really impressed me without any doubt is uh, Nuno Mendes the left back he really does look a a fantastic prospect and a lot of talk already about uh, Manchester United being interested sniffing around and from what I've seen quite honestly I'd say he is definitely the player at Sporting who looks most likely to to go on and make it very big really really fast physical aggressive left back has got a really good touch and, uh, you know, fantastic crossing ability. And renowned scout and author Lee Scott gave his appraisal on Reading's Michael Olise, among others. 
He's a, a player who can beat a man with a dribble. He can pick the right pass. He can play little combinations in around the penalty area. At 18, he plays with a maturity and, and uh, almost a, a sense of being much, much older than he is just because he just because Reading are, are given so much responsibility to him when they're in their attacking phase. I think that of all the players that I've picked for the list, if I had to say that one of them is going to play at Premier League level, I think it would definitely be Michael Olise. Meanwhile, Sam Tai told us what to expect from Ibrahima Diallo at Southampton and told a tale of Federico Chiesa's fiery temperament following his move to Juventus. So I spent last Friday just watching Ibrahima Diallo. What I saw over the course of the day, I mean, I started off like, you know, reasonably happy. And then by the end of the second full game, I was like, Oh God, this guy's a player. Like I, I, this, this is a really good signing. They, you know, he's anchoring a France under twenty one side. Yeah, Southampton have been waiting for a Hoybier replacement, and what they're looking for in that box to box number eight role in their four four two is is someone who can absolutely cover the ground and get up and down the pitch, but someone who is reasonably well rounded, who is comfortable on the ball, can take the ball and can dictate play, can track back and track their runners properly and get their foot in and, and, and be combative. Someone who could turn it over and start attacks quickly. I see that in Diallo. I see him as as good a defender and I think he's more comfortable on the ball. As it's, it's, it's a shallow analysis, but it, I think it works for this. That means nothing without the eye test, but he's taking the onus. And he actually pulls out some quite nice reverse-angled passes. First time as well sometimes to really catch defences off guard. He is an extremely intense and fiery character. It's obviously there's a lot of passion that runs through his game and there's a lot of passion uh, that underlines him representing Fiorentina. I was lucky last year I was able to spend a day with Fiorentina training uh, in New Jersey. So I, I spent and I watched the entire. I was back in the, in the Vincenzo Montella era. What basically watched the whole thing from start to finish during these training sessions. I saw Chiesa. I saw him at his like at his rawest form in training, and he is one intense guy. He he performs to the highest level, even in training, even in drills. Like his agility shocked me. Like he's such an athlete. It is remarkable, and in the training sessions that they had. They were playing like six on six or whatever. Every time he missed a chance, he went absolutely crazy at himself. He was screaming at himself. I mean, to be that upset with yourself about missing chance after chance in training, it doesn't matter, mate. Well, I hope you enjoyed this mini episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, We thought it would be fun to take a look back on the various guests we've spoken to uh, and the players we've discussed and and just seeing how they've panned out, really. Um, As you might have guessed, this being the the receipts episode, we haven't exactly gone through and shared some of our less piping hot takes from throughout the years. Uh, But if you'd like to get those too, then please do check out our Patreon, where every month myself and Phil Costa gang up on Stephen Ganavis for his Juventus propaganda and the occasional discussion about under 23 players um, but that is all from me Joe Donoghue um, if you've liked the Scouted Football podcast over our first 51 episodes then please consider leaving us a rating or a, a review or just letting us know on Twitter or just telling a friend that you've been listening to a new pod and you've added one to your rotation but um, yeah take care of the lot of you and uh, bye for now <laughs>